God is dead. Yep, you heard that right. Nietzsche dropped this bombshell back in 1882. It's the kind of thing that's being brushed off, laughed at, or flat out ignored. But don't kid yourself. This isn't just some philosophical mumbo jumbo. It's a gut punch that smacks you in the face with questions about life, death, and what the heck we're really doing here. So picture this, God's out of the picture and we're left holding the smoking gun. Nietzsche's finger points directly at us, claiming we're the ones who pulled the trigger. Whether you're a believer or not, you can't deny the weight of this idea. It's like suddenly realizing you've been driving on a road that just fades into thin air. But hey, we're no bystanders in this spectacle. From stone-tipped spears to sleek business suits, from dirt fields to towering factories, our evolution's been a full throttle roller coaster. We've forged a world that dances to the brave flame of our own innovation. We've moved from scribbles on cave walls to birthing the Renaissance, and our achievements are as mind-blowing as our own technological breakthroughs. In the time of harnessing the power of flight, of light, of dreams, we became our own god. Those towering skyscrapers, they're our way of shouting, hey universe, look what we can do. We've come a long way, but amidst our triumphs, there's a dissonance, like a note that doesn't quite fit the melody. Time slipping through our grasp like sand, each grain a moment we can't hold on to. In one hand, cold hard cash, in the other, our hearts clutched, beating with uncertainty. We're on the edge of an unknown future, like tightrope walkers navigating the abyss. And then there's just death, chilling in the corner, and believe it or not, we're exchanging knowing nods. It's like life just gave us a swift kick, reminding us that our days have an expiration date. A truth we've grown up with, but never with the whole world's fate hanging in the balance. We're literally juggling thoughts like, what cereal should I grab for breakfast? And how the heck are we going to fix this climate mess? It's like checking weather forecasts while also keeping an ear out for nuclear disaster. And in the background, that countdown to potential chaos, it's getting louder by the minute. Even the universe seems to be laughing at us and we're here scratching our heads, wondering why we're even alive. What the point is, it's like a messed up joke with no punchline. We try to fill the void, that empty feeling with stuff, material possessions, endless scrolling, relationships, but no matter how much we grab, we're left always hungry for something more, something just out of reach. In the midst of all this chaos, we each find our own way to cope. Some reach for a drink, others find family, and then there's those who simply hold their breath, cross their fingers and hope for the best. It's like we're standing in this blurry liminal space between total chaos and calm. We feel let down by the ones who are supposed to shield us, and yet we're trapped within the confines of our own lives. But seriously, what's the game plan here? Is this really all there is to it? Are we mere spectators too powerless to change anything while those in the upper elections pull all the strings? And let's, and let's not dodge the elephant in the room. If we're saying God's not in the picture anymore, did we play a role in that grand exit? My name is Deepa Well, and you're listening to the very first episode of The Missing Piece. 
how the world worked. I had to work. I'm getting older. If I don't work, I can't pay my bills. I can't shop. And we're all under that umbrella. I worry about the future for the younger generation. At that point, I felt, yeah, I've achieved something. I've filled this hole. But then quite quickly, felt again, there's something missing. Climate change worries me deeply. There's a lot of anxious people out there. I don't think I'm happy with life. I think I've been trying really hard this year to be content. I worry about how we treat the planet. Try not to let anything get me down. Just surviving from day-to-day mindset. Trying to fill a hole that I feel is there and like whether that's with relationships or with my friends. I want a united world really. I don't want people divided because Oh my god, this is this is what we need to do. This is it. Welcome aboard folks to our very first episode of The Missing Piece. Today's episode kicks off with a title that's a bit more symbolic than literal, the heavens and the earth. If you've been reading the news, you've probably noticed that climate concerns aren't the lightest of topics. Doom and gloom seem to dominate the headlines. It even got so intense that I had to take a breather for the sake of my own sanity. Well, um, the urgency of the climate crisis has us in its grip, urging us to take a hard look at the footprint we've left on this planet. The urgency of the climate crisis has left us in its grip, urging us to take a hard look at the footprint we've left on this planet. Amidst the chilling headlines, a pivotal question arises. Are the voices of politicians echoing genuine calls for change? Or are they just lullabies that numb us until it's too late? Fasten your seatbelts as we dive into climate change and the human dilemma. A recent haunting backdrop with the news of a 93 lost in the flames of Maui's forest fire. Global heat waves that drench and then the next minute provide scorching rays. Millions caught in the clutches of hunger, homes and lives swept away by floods, droughts, ecosystems inching closer to the point of no return. An ominous countdown looms. If governments stick to their current courses, the carbon budget will run dry before the next IPCC report drops in 2030. The facts hit hard. More than 3 billion people are precariously positioned in climate-vulnerable zones and nearly half the world grapples with severe water scarcity during certain periods. Many corners of the earth are teetering on the brink of adaptation fatigue, unable to cope with these rapid, catastrophic changes. But here's the deal. Every time someone tries to challenge the status quo, even ask a remote question about capitalism, about changing the government, we get told that there is no alternative. This is the way we must go. It's a sentiment that's almost etched into our collective psyche, a declaration that capitalism reigns supreme and there is no alternative fathomable. In this realm, ultra-authoritarianism and capitalism coexist seamlessly. We live in a society where intermittent camps are neighbours to franchise coffee joints and forest fires dance in unison with the King's Coronation Party. But brace yourselves for a question that doesn't let go. What can we actually do about it? And what's the point of the environment anyway? Why bother with all these ecosystems, forests and landscapes? When we could just chase more fuel, resources and shortcuts without breaking a sweat. How intertwined are we really with this grand tapestry of it all? We've now hit the second section of this podcast episode, Myth and Reality. 
Just as the skilled craftsman shaped his creation, our world was meticulously crafted by a celestial designer. Whether you're talking about Jesus, carpentry, Buddha, divine creation, these paradigms have, sti have stitched themselves into the fabric of our existence. We're about to unravel the layers that, that influence how we understand reality, drawing inspiration from the teachings of Alan Watts. We'll explore how these mental frameworks shape our perception of the universe, our inner selves, and the world around us. Think of these frameworks as the foundation upon which we build our sense of identity, our sense of self even, shaping upon what we consider real. They're like the blueprint of the modern world, a hand that shapes our individual world and the broader environment. Watts refers to these guiding principles as myths, but don't mistake them for mere nonsense. They're powerful tools. I like myths. They help us understand the madness of the world. They help us comprehend the chaos around us. Let's kick things off with a passage from the Bible that sets the stage. God created Adam out of dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And Adam became a living being endowed with speech. Enter the ceramic model, our starting point. This model casts humans and the world as artful creations, skillfully modeled by some higher force. This perspective resonates with religious beliefs across Christianity, Islam, Judaism, a belief in a creator who fashioned existence from nothingness. It's as if we were sculpted from dust, a divine breath breathed life into our beings. This ancient model continues to influence our thoughts, our self-perception and the very mechanics of society. Think of it as the world's oldest and most prevalent operating system. The world in this view is all about matter and stuff. The clay of existence lacks substance on its own. It needs an external force to bring it to completion. Just as Adam was formed from dust, our world bursts forth into existence. Like clay, brought to life by an infusion of breath, given an external intelligence and essence. This outlook has stealthily intertwined itself with our perception of self, the world and everything in between. Though we've started to see ourselves as ongoing projects, unfinished artworks and incomplete artifacts. As we age, we question our parents about the artistry of our creation. This I emerges because we're perceived as things, entities with substance, needing that external breath of life. The world is brimming with things, matter, substance, money, cars, designer labels, alcohol, glamour, opulence. And just as we breathe into the world, it breathes into us. We're in the process of becoming evolving. This perspective where external creation blends into an internal essence blurs the line between what's really out there and what's within. This model has coloured human perception, reinforcing the idea that our essence requires external forces for life, love and intelligence. We were plain boring clay at first. We had to have that external intelligence to become complete. The dance between external shaping and internal core not only influences how we see ourselves, but also shapes our interactions with the world. This exploration of identity takes a detour through the terrain of time. A duality unfolds, a tension between the transient nature of self and the belief in an enduring core. This tension is neatly encapsulated in Descartes' iconic line, I think, therefore I am. I depend on an external substance to exist, therefore I exist. Yet, this sort of reign of a who am I sort of question prevails. Is it a part of the vessel and thus a result of a biological process, or is consciousness an incorporeal and mysterious underlying essence that exists outside of the physical? If we took away all the memories, all the history that made up us, that made up you, would you still be you? 
I see myself as an accumulation of memories, of synapses firing or not, i.e. just like ones and zeros, like a computer. I see myself as processes and routines that run each day by clock cycles called time. If we can copy a screenshot of my mind, of those ones and zeros, and store it digitally, and then reawaken it inside a computer, has anything been lost? If the memories and affinities are there, then am I still me? Why not? Now, let's toss in a familiar puzzle, the ship of Theseus. Imagine this ancient ship, its crew navigating treacherous waters. Storms ravage the ship, oars break, masts shatter, the ship is repaired, piece by piece. New sailors join, old ones repart, eventually every single plank and every sailor has been replaced at least once. Even the original captain, Theseus, is no more replaced by his successors. Now, transpose this onto yourself. Every moment, cells in your body die and are replaced. Your personality shifts with experiences, time and memory. And here's the kicker. You have no control over these processes, over what unfolds, over what happens to you. So if you claim to have an identity, what exactly is it? Is the ship still the same? Are you still the same? What remains constant above it all? So here is where the ceramic model binds us into this notion of being ships, of being artifacts. Society becomes an art form, an artifactual living. It's like we're sculpting ourselves, chiseling a man out of the raw materials. Now, I know this sounds like a bit of mumbo jumbo, but don't be in a rush to shorten this narrative. Which we're painting a comprehensive picture of how these systems fit into our lives. Navigate this intellectual landscape, seeking answers to questions that transcend time and challenge the very foundations of our reality. From the corridors of history emerged the ceramic model, born of cultures entrenched in monarchical systems of governance. In this model, the universe's maker becomes the king of the universe, the king of kings and the lord of lords. He breathed life into you. Of course he's the king of kings. Those aligned with this paradigm humble themselves before the cosmic stage, the universe interacting it, interacting with reality much like a subject would with a king. We have no control over reality. We were breathed into. We had life given to us. Yet we're still under these monarchical perspectives. We kneel, we bow, we respect the universe's cruelty, embracing whatever it brings and will bring. Though, when it comes to monarchs, the most frightened entity is often the tyrant, which explains our bowed posture, approaching the universe head-on, disarmed, so the armour sees us without weapons, a stance that preludes attack. In this intricate dance, the ruler of all is often the biggest rogue. Criminals are just people in jail. The ruler is the one that's allowed to permit ruler-permitted crimes. This perspective has permeated architecture, language, and the very core of our communication. We found rulers to obey, they dictate the laws of existence. In Catholicism, everything revolves around the king. Our Protestants shift focus to the judge. When we build churches, we mirror these perspectives. The Catholic Church, for instance, places the altar at the east end of the building, with the priest bowing before it, much like a visor does before a king. On the other hand, a Protestant church resembling a courthouse still embodies the same cosmic model. Even our language betrays our embedded beliefs. In the architecture of religion, we find the architecture of belief. Yet humanity's journey unfolded, marked by rulers, wars, power plays, and a shifting societal landscape. We ventured out of the fields into the factories, where the oppressor-oppressed dynamic renamed an unyielding constant. 
as thoughts mirrored society, capitalism's embrace of identity led to the commodification of the self. Capitalism fills the void with possessions, perpetuating an endless chase for satisfaction. Our society is a fractured one, tangled in a web of, prob in a web of problems, mental fragmentation, and internal chaos. Here comes the second model of the universe, the fully automatic model, a perspective that emerged as Western thought evolved. This model discarded the concept of a prime mover, opting to retain the idea of universal laws without their divine architect. Our universe became a mechanical entity governed by clockwork principles. Newtonian physics likened atoms to bullard balls driven by predictable angles. This notion of reality as blind energy extended into the realm of psychology, epitomized by Freud's identification of basic psychological energy as libido, a blind primal force. Under this structure were mere accidents, mere outcomes of blind energy, a blend of chance and exuberance. But aligning this view forces us to battle nature at every turn, perceiving it as an alien force. This clash fuels a culture rooted in war between humanity and the natural world. The chains of thought grow tighter as the I think, therefore I am mantra pulls us away from nature's embrace, thrusting us into the throes of machinery, money and industrial growth. Capitalism's hold on identity fosters a culture of accumulation, turning self-discovery into, into market transactions. We're pushed towards becoming consumers and machines rather than beings. As much as we distance ourselves from nature, we're flung into reality, perpetually chasing futures that never arrive. But let's pause for a moment and reflect. Are you consistently seeking something beyond the present? Is your every action just a means to an end? Does fulfillment always elude you, confined to a fleeting pleasure? Are you fixated on becoming, achieving, attaining? In this ordinary state, the power of the present is hidden by psychological time of being an artifact, an object, a machine. Apart from nature, life loses its vibrancy as old patterns repeat. The script plays in your mind, constructing an entity that obscures the present. Yet to grasp existence's true essence, we must shed these layers, embrace the present moment and resist desires and regrets. As we tread this mental labyrinth, a question emerges. Who are you and what is self? If you say, I can't deal with this, I can't handle myself anymore. Is the I and the myself two separate entities? If you can't live with yourself, does it imply that, are, that there are two yous? Maybe I isn't singular, but a duality. I and the self that I can't exist with. The stance between the self and other shapes our relationship with society, nature, and ultimately ourselves. The insatiable drive to the void propels us towards objects and nations for self-completion. Listen in as to how we shape this towards capitalism and binding ourselves towards object, commodification, and consumerism. Both philosophers, Schopenhauer and Camus, portray life as a struggle uphill. Camus believes us to be Sisyphus. Within the bleakness, we must find our meaning for happiness, our meaning, our purpose in the most mundane tasks of rolling a boulder up the hill for eternity. Life resembles a journey, a climb. Childhood leads to school, adulthood, striving for success. However, for the majority of our lives, we overlook the present. We live for the future, always asking, what's next? Are you truly living moment to moment? It's this future-focused mindset disconnects us from the present 
and our lives become an unquenchable thirst for salt water, a series of goals leading to more goals. Time renders our pursuits insubstantial as mist. Pursuits become suffocating. We're trapped in a time warp, neither in the past nor future. These constructs are impermanent. We often see ourselves as isolated beings. This separation fuels, fuels hostility towards others and the external world. However, there's an alternative, popular in Eastern thought. Now I take us to the third model of the universe, the model of the Big Bang. Consider the Big Bang theory, an explosion birthing galaxies. If we're part of this process, we're not separate, but integral to the universe's manifestation. You're not distinct from nature. You're a manifestation growing from the universe like an apple from a tree. People mirror the universe they inhabit. Our separation stems from the ceramic model, a detachment belief. We didn't come into the world. If you ask a child, if you ask a Western child, how was I born? They believe they were made. They believe they were made and born. Eastern children ask more so, how did they grow? We didn't come into the world. We emerged from it. In this view, the world is alive and we're not detached. We're, in we're interconnected with all of life. Intelligence, love, beauty aren't, aren't individual traits. They're the essence of the universe and innate to every single human being. The earth isn't a rock, it's life's web. We exist in relationship. My words only have meaning because you are listening to them. We're not separate, but interconnected. Everything is connected to the source of life. Even a stone, a flower, or a bird can lead us back to an ineffable peace connected to the earth and the origin of life, a source that connects us all. Without your listening, I would not be speaking. I only exist because of you, and you only exist because of me. There can be no listener without a speaker, no speaker without a listener. We relate to each other through exist, like yin and yang. The rise in Western philosophy and the rise of capitalism has caused life to be lived as a means to an end. But the point of the dance is not to get from one side of the room to another, but to enjoy the dance. When we listen to music, pieces of art, we don't judge how quickly it is painted, how many chords can be bashed together all at once. It's the process, the dance, the life of it all. Life is not a problem to be solved, but a reality to be experienced. Music and art don't judge speed or productivity or commodification. They embody life. A famous Chinese master once said, nature itself does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. Welcome to the final section of today's episode. With all the models in place, now that we see we are more so a part of nature rather than an obstruction, an obstruction of the world, we truly see that the climate, the climate crisis sheds light on our true nature. We're not meant to be confined to desks, estranged from the world and the universe. We're a part of the moving process, a breathing organism connected to everything. We see ourselves in everything, in other people. The astrologist Mandelbrot coined the, world, the word fractal, patterns that repeat no matter how far out you zoom. Stop a moment. Look at a nebula. Look at a photo of the stars of the universe. Zoom in and zoom out and you'll see these patterns everywhere you go. Zoom in on the branches of a tree and you'll see veins. You'll see miniature branches. Fractals surround us in nature. The mathematics of fractals have enabled us to understand self-similar structures in the universe. What if we, Mandelbrot thought, what if the universe is a fractal? 
Nature's secret code is everywhere. Even the golden rule is in hurricanes, flowers, and pine cones. The Fibonacci sequence is everywhere. As well as nature being responsible for holding all of our medication, cure of, cure of disease, and ultimately the reason why we're still alive. Nature's connection to our true essence and inner self reigns above all. Already currently, we're beginning to see changes. These things called forest schools, popular in Scandinavia, are being, have been embracing outdoor learning for years, offering clarity and interconnectedness with the children. These schools have nearly grown by 500% in the US, promoting outdoor learning. To quote Marx, capitalist production disturbs the metabolic interaction between man and earth, prevents the return to the soil of its constituent elements cons consumed by man in the form of food and clothing. All progress in capitalist architecture is a progress in the art, not only of robbing the worker, but robbing of the soil. The more a country develops itself on the basis of great industry, the more of this process of destruction takes place quickly. Capitalist production only develops by simultaneously undermining the original sources of all wealth, the soil and the worker. We truly do not realize the potential nature has. Natural flows of renewable resources are immense in comparison with global energy use. This holds both from a theoretical and technical perspective. Imagine the world we could create if we began prioritizing human life, the life of the world over profit, over commodification and production, over the growth of the market, the ocean waves and the universe peoples. We are not meant to be oppressed by the oppressor, to be a slave to society, not with the abundance eco-socialism presents as an alternative prioritizing social and ecological well-being. Imagine the power we could do with prioritizing the potential of the climate. Not only to list a few, but solar energy is abundant, renewable. It can meet the global needs, reduce, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and offer grid independence. Capitalist production disrupts the balance between humans and the earth. Our future depends on embracing renewable resources and policies that promote sustainability. In conclusion, embracing a mindset aligned with the interconnectedness of nature can change everything. You are not defined by your job, money, past or future. You are defined by the choices you make now. One who lives under the ceramic model looms towards the future for a better moment other than the one he is now, or is stuck in the past, repeating old patterns, cycles and thoughts. The universe as a process, as a dance, truly lives in the present moment. He is defined by who he is at this moment currently. He is forever born, every day. Much like a tree, much like nature. Without the essence of personal history, of strain, of negativity, one who lives in the past, too often, faces depression, and one who lives in the future, too often, anticipates and becomes anxious. The one who lives in the present moment is at peace. Embracing nature's interconnectedness can revolutionize everything. There is no ruler, but the universe's true wealth. Welcome to The Missing Piece, the show that delves deep into the mysteries of existence, philosophy, and the human experience. I'm your host, Deepa Well, and today we're embarking on a journey through the intuitions of embracing interconnectedness. We'll discuss how nature-based education and deeper understanding of our relationship with the earth can lead to a more sustainable future discover the potential for change and the power we hold in shaping a harmonious coexistence. Outro and future exploration. As we conclude this episode, 
we reflect on the journey we've taken today, from cosmic paradigms to interconnectedness. We've explored the layers that shape our identities, desires, and interactions. Next time, as we delve deeper, exploring the capitalist link, we'll be exploring the capitalist mindset linked to consumerism, to consumerism and coping with a special guest. Thank you for tuning in to The Missing Piece, where we seek the missing pieces that complete the puzzle of existence.